have your hearing checked. Something's wrong with y'all's hearing. So. Oh, isn't it good to be in God's house? If you will, get your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. I want to, we'll get there in just a moment. I want to ask you a question this morning. Does sometimes it seem like your life is just totally out of order? That's what this passage is about today. 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 through 17. Would you stand with us and read this passage together? Peter speaking, he says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even you should suffer for righteousness. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us today. And even though it's a cold and even nasty day outside, we thank you for the, the ones that are here. And, Lord, we just ask that you would just go with us now as we read your word and expound upon your word, that, Lord, you would just indwell your word in each one of our hearts, that, Lord, you would just put it in our hearts and our minds that we're to live the Christian life, not just on Sundays but every day of the week. Lord, let people see Christ in us and everything we do. Go with us as we go through this time this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I was in high school back in the 70s, long, long time ago, <laughs> I knew somebody would say something. Of course, that's when I started school. That's first grade. <clears throat> there was this rock band from Canada called the Five Man Electrical Band. They were one of those one-hit wonders, if you remember the song. They had a song that came out said, and the title of it was Signs, S-I-G-N-S. The lead singer, Les Emerson, wrote the song after driving along Route 66 in California and seeing all the different signs. The course of the song goes like this. I'm not going to sing it to you. The course of the song goes like this. Signs, signs, everywhere there are signs. Blocking up the scenery and breaking my mind. Do this, don't do this. Can't you read the signs? After a couple of verses about bad signs, he finished with this chorus. And the sign says, everyone welcome. Come in, kneel down and pray. But when they passed around the plate at the end of it all, I didn't have a penny to pay. So I got me a pen and paper and made up my own little sign. I said, thank you, Lord, for thinking about me. I'm alive and doing fine. Now, that's, I remember that song. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I remember that song. And it wasn't one of my favorite by any means, but does there ever seem a time in your life when your life is totally out of order? It just, I mean, things just go, it just have gone chaotic. I mean, it seems like that in our country right now, but it just, it seems like sometimes we just, things just fall apart. He was right. There are signs, signs everywhere are there signs. As you drive around, road signs 
signs give you directions, but sometimes they can be pretty confusing. Sometimes, you know, Google, uh, Google is a neat thing. You can find anything on Google. So I pulled up signs, and then I went a little deeper and says, you know, unusual signs and things like this. Let me give you a few of them. Sometimes signs in front of churches can be a little confusing. For instance, there's one sign that said, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. A sign on a plumber's truck said, we repair what your husband fixed. (laughs) I like this one. A sign in a waiting room of a veterinarian clinic said, be back in five minutes. Sit, stay. I read that there's a sign on an Episcopal church nursing home in New York that reads, for the sick and tired of the Episcopal church. In Minneapolis Hospital, there's a sign as you go into the door of the labor and delivery room that says, push, push, push. (laughs) When you think about it, some signs are useless because they state the obvious. In Tennessee, a sign says, when this road is underwater, this road is impassable. Well, duh. (laughs) That was Tennessee. I didn't say it. Well, y'all, y'all moving? It? No, it's Kentucky you are going to. Okay. I was thinking to say, watch out for that sign. So, <laughs> by the way, in case you're not aware, Jared and them are fixing to leave this Wednesday, going to Kentucky. And so, y'all be in prayer for them. They've been a blessing with us and had them with us. And so, it's, we're going to miss them. But now, they promise they'll be back one day. So, just, we'll, we'll when? <laughs> that, that's a good deal then. So, we'll look forward to that. Other signs reveal the creative humor of people, though. I read about a sign on a fence post somewhere in Texas that says, The farmer allows walkers to cross the field for free, but the bull charges. (laughs) I don't know where that's at, so just be careful when you start crossing somebody's land. (laughs) Studies conducted by sociologists have found that many signs are ignored Speed limit signs, no parking signs, even stop signs may be ignored. But research has determined there's one sign that almost always gets noticed, and that's follow, that is followed is out of order. That one always gets our attention. Have you ever been on a trip and died of thirst, and when you pulled in, you saw a soft drink machine, you went over there, and just as you started, probably if like me, after you dropped your coins in there, there's a sign that says, out of order. And you know, you just got that sinking feeling. Of course, to me, the worst kind of sign would be if you're on a trip, I'm trying to word this politely, if you need a bathroom break, and you walk up the door and it says, out of order, you start looking pretty fast. The point I'm trying to make is that sometimes our life becomes out of order. Have you ever found your life to be so full of dysfunction and even pain that you felt like you should walk around with an out-of-order sign around your neck? We expect machines to function properly. You put 50 cents into a newspaper machine, and you should get a newspaper out of it. But when things are out of order, frustration occurs. In the same way, we expect life to function in order. No problems. But guess what? That's not the way life is. 
Every day there will be some kind of problems. It may not be the big ones of our lives, but it may it's little problems that come up, things that just frustrate us all the time. When you do what's right, you expect to get good results. But sometimes you can do what's right and still suffer. And that's what this passage today is about. For instance, as a husband or a wife, you try to do everything right in the marriage and he or she decides that they're through and they walk out. You have no control over it. Those things happen. As a parent, you raised your kids to know the Lord, to do right, and yet you still have made, they've still made bad choices as they grow up. And it hurts you as you look at them and think about, why did you do this? Or how about if you worked hard at being a good employee and you get laid off out of order? You ate right, you exercised, you faithfully took your vitamins, and still you got that bad diagnosis. Don't panic, though. God tells us that sometimes we can do everything right and we'll still suffer. Then he tells us how to live when that happens, though. And, you know, it's it's one thing to hear what God says, but it's something else to how we apply that to our lives. And today, this is, I think this subject probably touches every one of us in this room that sooner or later you've had bad days, you've had bad weeks, you've had bad years sometimes. Things happen in life. We expect life to be fair. We can't understand why good people suffer, and it seems like bad people just get all the breaks that there are. We want to say it just isn't fair. No, life isn't fair. But God is still good in spite of it. And when it seems your life is out of order, when life malfunctions, here are some ways to respond to that. Number one, react in a way that will cause others to ask you about your hope. 1 Peter uh, 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Did you hear what they just said? We're to be ready to give a defense. We're to be ready to give a reason why we're upbeat when all things around us are going crazy. We're to be upbeat. Christians are to be upbeat. We're to have a hope about us that no matter what we're going through, there's still something to hope for. We have hope Something the world desperately needs is hope. Our English word for hope really isn't even strong enough for the Bible word that's translated hope. It's the word elpis, E-L-P-I-S. It's the English word for hope is, tra- is related, but the English word for hope is tr- uh, translated dr- about dreams. In other words, hope is something you wish will happen but you don't know for sure. For instance, now, I grew up, one of my heroes in the faith was First Baptist Church Dallas, uh, Criswell, for a number of years. And I always I had a chance to meet him one time. Now, I mean, nothing like we are good friends or anything. Don't misunderstand. We shook hands. That's about it. But it's, I mean, that was just to, to watch him on TV. And, just, and really, he's one of the reasons I became a Christian, because I'd 
was acting up sometime, and I saw him on television watching. It just really touched me. It wasn't where I became a Christian, but it, it influenced it. He always influenced it. W.A. Criswell. But you don't know for sure. When we say, well, I hope we do something. For instance, I could say something like this. I hope one day that I get to stand in the pulpit of First Baptist Church Dallas and preach. Now, in all likelihood, that's not going to happen. I mean, just it's probably not going to happen. I know that. Y'all know that. God knows that. But it, I mean, it could happen. But it's, but I can dream anyway. I can just picture myself in that big old church and me standing in the pulpit. That's a good picture, in my opinion. Don't comment on that. But anyway, but the word. Elpis isn't anything like a dream. It's more related to the word truth. Elpis means having a <clears throat> excuse me, positive anticipation you will receive something that has been promised. Using that biblical meaning, when I say, I hope to go to heaven, it means something totally different than saying, I hope I get to preach at First Baptist Dallas. Because it's one of them is very unlikely, but the other one is very likely. When we face adversity, we can maintain hope. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.10, He has delivered us from such deadly perils, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope. Did you catch that? On Him we set our hope. That if I believed in Him... I should not perish but have everlasting lives. One of the ways that I know that one of these days I'm in heaven is because Jesus told me. I didn't think this one up. Jesus said, one of these days you're going to be with me in heaven. And that gives me the hope, the solid hope that I'll be there one of these days. I don't know when it'll be. I hope it's a few years from now, but it may not be. I don't know. But it gives us hope to something. That's the kind of hope we're talking about today. There are two issues here, really. Number one, having hope. And Jesus, we just found out, he supplies that. And number two is another part that I thought sort of strange here. Being ready to answer when someone asks you about your hope. Now think about that a minute. We know from Jesus in our lives that we have hope that we're going to heaven one day. If you're a child of God, you're going to heaven. If you've been born again, you're going to heaven. There's no doubt about that. You can have that full hope. But what about being prepared to tell someone else what we have hope in? Too many Christians are like the Arctic rivers. They're frozen at the mouth. They don't know how to talk about their faith. Nobody likes one of those obnoxious Christians who's constantly trying to force the truth down someone's throat. They have no tact and they offend people. And I remember growing up, they offended me. Evangelism shouldn't be like a telemarketer trying to sell a product. Evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That's what, Christian, that's what evangelism is. It's not beating them over the head with a 10-pound Bible. It's loving them and telling them where they can find the food of life, the hope that we have. The best way to share your faith is when someone asks you why you're different. Now, I've been asked why I'm different a lot of times. Probably not in the way we're talking about today. But it's people will ask you. If you live your faith, they're going to ask you, what's different about you? And there's your opportunity. 
When others see that you have hope, when conditions seem hopeless, then that opens the door for you to be a witness to those people. One of the simplest ways to share your faith is the acrostic of faith, F-A-I-T-H. stands for forgiveness, availability, impossible, turn, and heaven. Now, wait, what are you talking about? Forgiveness. All we have to do is ask for forgiveness, and God gives it to us if we ask in a humble way. Available. You've got to be available to God to use. Impossible. It's impossible for you to get to heaven without Jesus Christ. You can't do it. Turn. In order to get to heaven, you've got to make a turn in your life. And, of course, the last one is heaven. When you make that turn, you're guaranteed to be in heaven one day. If something happened to you this next week and you were, your life was taken that quickly, you would be assured of a spot in heaven. As long as you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. The second thing we see when life malfunctions, recount your blessings. 1 Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness, righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of the threats, nor be troubled. Y'all remember the 2000 presidential election? The word recount took on a whole new meaning that year. I don't know if y'all remember it, but we heard it all the time. Every time you turned the TV on and uh, hanging chads and all that kind of stuff that went on. But if you're struggling and hurting, perhaps it's time for a blessing recount in your life. Regardless of the difficulties you may be facing, you can always find some blessings in your life as you look for them. You may be familiar with a hymn written by Johnson Oatman, Jr., and it says this, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. That old song's pretty accurate, isn't it? When we turn to God and think about all the blessings we've had in life, our little troubles aren't that big. It doesn't matter what you're facing. Well, you don't know what we're going through right now. No, I don't, but the God that wrote this book does, and He said, count it all blessings. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. This is his words. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Some blessings are in the physical realm. Good health. Things like that. Other blessings are in the relational realm. Physical realm. But the very best blessings are found in the heavenly realm. And the Bible says followers of Jesus are blessed with every spiritual blessing, not some, not most, but every spiritual blessing in heaven. Did you get that? Dwell on that for just a moment. God's promised us as we speak. If you're sitting here and you're a child of God, God's promised you spiritual blessings in your life. 
I don't like to use the word luck too much. I occasionally do mess up and say it, but I don't like it. But I try to never say good luck to anyone. The only kind of luck that I like is the acrostic for luck, living under Christ's knowledge. I like that luck. That's the kind of luck we need. When someone says to me, you sure are lucky to have a wife like you've got, of course, I agree with them 100%. But I also say, it's not luck. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. God's blessed me. So one way to recount your blessing is by substituting the word blessed for luck. You don't need luck. Did you realize that many Christian people every morning go to the horoscopes to read it? I mean, that's that's a fact. <laughs> every, in fact, just about every newspaper you pick, pick up has a horoscope in it. A lot of the people reading it are Christian people. Why? Has it ever made sense to you that this guy can put some words in a paper and give you a sign to look up, and that's how your day's going to go. Give me a break. Are we that stupid? <laughs> but a lot of people turn to it every day of the week to read that horoscope, to do the things that it says to do. God says in black and white, you are blessed. You may think, well, I don't feel very blessed today. Feeling has nothing to do with being blessed. The infallible Word of God assures us that you are blessed. We are blessed. When the Apostle Paul wrote those words about being blessed with every spiritual blessing, he was sitting in a prison, in, uh, sitting as a prisoner in jail, waiting for his execution. When he looked around himself at the earthly realm, there wasn't much to be proud of or be looked forward to. It didn't look too bright for his future. But when he looked up into the heavenly realms, he said, I'm blessed. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, how can you be blessed and live, uh, sitting in a prison? Because Paul looked outside of those walls of what God had done for him. Have you ever noticed this? We can have a hundred days of good health. No problems whatsoever. Then all of a sudden, just like this past week, I come down with something. Now, I didn't have the flu, thank goodness. I think they, they told, finally told me it was a sinus. In fact, I went to the doctor Tuesday and said I had a sinus in, uh, infection. I've never had a sinus infection. This, ner- this doctor was with me. Her, she, she asked me, said, well, how long have you lived here? I said, about three years. He said, welcome to Central Texas. <laughs> she said, you'll get used to it after the years. <laughs> but anyway, have you ever had for 100 days you've had good health, and then all of a sudden one day of sickness, we come down with the flu, we come down with a cold. What do we do? Lord, why would you do this to me? Don't we? Christians do it too. Do you ever stop to think? Thank the Lord for your health even on the bad days. We all have colds and flus and things that come in our lives. We have them. But we get so self-pity when it's us going through it. I mean, even though the hospitals are full of them, wait a minute, why would you pick me out, God? Why would you do this to me? Jesus, let's go back a minute. You may drive a car for 10 years. Never anything goes wrong. 
Then one day you pull out on the 190 and you have a fender bender. What's the first thing we say? God, why did you do this to me? Right? I mean, it's, it's our nature. That's what we do. Jesus used Luke chapter, in Luke chapter Luke 21, 26, when he was talking about the conditions that will exist in the world before he returns, he writes this, Luke 21, 26. Man's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. It literally means hearts will fail because of the apprehension of what is coming on the world. Well, if I wasn't a child of God, I'd probably be worried about that too, frankly. But guess what? I'm convinced the church won't be here. God's going to take us out of it. I don't know when that will be, but we're not going to be here. We talked last Sunday night on our uh, uh, Revelation study. You don't want to be here when the tribulation comes. Let me assure you. That is not going to be a fun time for anybody. And I think the church will be out of it. Now, what's the church? Robertson Avenue Baptist Church? No. The church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where Robertson Avenue Baptist stays here or not. We won't be here if you're a child of God. Let's move along. We get apprehensive about things. We worry about things that could happen. Seventeen years ago, the word terror or terrorist didn't mean much to us until after an event called 9-11. And now all of a sudden we've heard it everywhere, every day, probably many times a day. We've seen it in our own country. We've seen it across the world that people literally walk into churches and kill people. It's everywhere. It's on the streets. It's all around us. The radical Islamic terrorist who declared holy war against all of us are terrorists. Now, are they all terrorists? Of course not. I'm sure there's some good people in that section. But there's some that want to destroy our way of life. And so there's terror around. There's worry around. There's fear. Do you remember when 9-11 happened? Now, obviously, we wasn't here. We were up in Bonham at the time. But, I mean, for the next six weeks, our church was packed out every Sunday. I thought, man, that's the best thing that ever happened to us. We had a full house nearly every week. But then it wore off. And then we started having empty seats again. Isn't that the way we are? When something scares us real good, then we get close to God. But then as it goes away, ah, I can take care of it. I don't need God. And folks, one of these days, we're all going to need God if you don't have him. The radical Islamic terrorists scare us all of what can happen. And not only them, but just the streets of any big city or any small city for that matter can be dangerous nowadays. Sure, there are scary things in this world, but God tells us over and over, do not fear. Now, I haven't counted these, but I've been told that the phrase, Fear not or do not fear appears 365 times in the Bible. Now, does that number ring a bell with you? Every day of the year, God says, do not fear. 
Fear not. He's talking to us. He's talking to His church. That's one for every day of the year. Just one would be good enough for me. For instance, Jesus said in Luke twelve four, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, they have no more they can do. Luke twelve seven, But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You see, God's already taken care of our fear problem. It's a human tendency to fear the worst. You ever notice that? When something happens, we begin to fear the most. Well, we better quit antagonize North Korea. They're going to bomb us. We'll, they'll annihilate us. Now, I know nothing about the military, but I've got a funny suspicion they can take care of anybody. I don't, I've never, but I've, well, I have been out there one time to tour the, some places, but I mean, I just got a funny feeling that they can meet anything that's thrown at them. And probably with more force would be my guess, but I, I don't know that. But it's a human tendency to fear the worst when we go through a difficult time. The enemy tries to sabotage our minds to think things that will never, will never get better. When you go through a downtime, what does your mind do? It keeps telling you, oh, you're, you might as well get used to this. This is the way life's going to be. You lost your job. How are you going to pay your bills? What are you going to do? And we get in that rut of believing it. But we must realize sometimes the painful circumstances in our lives produce positive results. I heard this story about a shipwreck survivor once washed ashore in a deserted island. Every day he cried out to God to be rescued, and, be, and be, he searched the horizon for a ship, but no help ever arrived. He finally managed to collect some materials and built a hut to live in. Every day he prayed for God to send someone to rescue him. No one arrived. One afternoon he returned from searching for good to find the worst thing that could happen in his life. His hut was in flames from a cook fire that he hadn't put out. It was burning to the ground. He sat down on the ground as his hut burned, complaining to God the whole time. Why me, God? Why did you allow this to happen to me? He finally fell asleep on the beach. The next morning he was surprised to see a sailing vessel anchored off his island. As he was rescued, he asked the crew, How did you know I was here? The captain said, We saw your smoke signal yesterday. What he thought was the worst thing could possibly happen to him turned out to be the best thing that God could do for him. Don't we find ourselves in those positions sometimes? Maybe not that scenario exactly. But we get down and out and we think, well, just man, I've just messed up. I just I can't go any farther. God won't use me. The church don't want me. It just I don't know what I'm going to do. And we're having a big self-pity party. And all God's telling us, remember... You're blessed. You have the blessings of heaven with you. The last thing. Oh, let me, one more point. Do you recall the things that you feared 10 years ago? Think about something. Can you think of anything that you were so afraid of 10 years ago that just drove you crazy? Probably not. Because they all go by the wayside. Chances are you can't re remember any of them. 
Oh, you may can think about a hard time you went through or whatever, but I'm talking about the fear that you had, the things that you feared the most 10 years ago. So whatever fear you're experiencing today or you're facing right now, all we need to do is write Romans 8.28 above it. For we know that all things work together for good, catch this, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things work out for good if you're a child of God. The last thing, reaffirm Jesus as your Lord. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The key step to take when your life seems out of control is to sanctify, or a better word for us is set apart Jesus as your Lord. The word literally means boss or master. Some people want Jesus as Savior, but they don't want him as Lord. They want somebody to to save them from going to hell, but they don't want someone to control their lives. But let me tell you a little secret. The truth is you cannot accept Jesus as your Savior and willingly reject him as your Lord. It don't work. He won't do it. You must make him Savior and Lord of your life. Well, no, we don't all make him Lord of my life. I know. But you're walking on dangerous thin ice if, you don't, if you're not careful. In the King James Version and the New King James Version, it says to sanctify Christ as Lord. That word sanctify means to cherish something uh, so much that you get it just you set it aside because it's so special. Now, put that in that context that we're to sanctify Put Jesus in a special place. And we're to dwell on that. Look what I've got. I've got a special, I've got a gold mine here through Jesus. When I was probably about eight or nine years old, I used to collect baseball cards. Of course, if you remember back then, you could buy a pack of cards that had, say, four or five cards in it and then a piece of gum. Gum was terrible. You'd take it out and throw it away. You didn't even want to chew it. But the baseball cards, and I remember getting some baseball cards of Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. Back then, the 60s, that was, that was fantastic. But I didn't understand the value they would have someday. I remember riding up to our, in our area, there was a little store called Cash and Carry, a little convenience store. I don't think it's called that at the time, but that's what it was anyway. But I remember riding up my bicycle up there and buying some baseball cards. And, man, I'd get those cards. And you know what I'd do with them? I'd get one of my mom's clothespins and stick it on the back tire of my bike. So when I rode down the street, she'd make a brrrr sound. Brrrr. <laughs> I never realized one day a single Mickey Mantle baseball card will be worth over $5,000. You won't believe how many 5,000s I ruined. I would be a rich man today if I had a few of those. But you know, sometimes, even with Jesus, we never realize what we've got until it's almost too late. 
sanctify Jesus, it says. That means make him a special place in your life. Jesus does not want to be second. In fact, let me rephrase that. Jesus will not be second in your life. He will not do it. Once again, if I'd known the value of those cards, I would have cherished it and set them aside, and I'd still have them today. Well, probably not. I'd probably go and sold them by this time. But anyway, in the same way, we must realize how precious and how valuable Jesus is. In your heart, there's only room for one number one, and it ain't you. I hate to tell you, it must be Jesus. When you're suffering, you must realize Jesus is Lord over your tough circumstances. The Lordship of Jesus involves so much more than merely saying, Lord, Lord. In Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Then he went on to say what would happen to those people who only called him Lord but never truly set him apart as Lord of his life. In fact, I'm going to read a, of a version. I don't usually quote very much, but I like this. Eugene, per, Eugene Peterson wrote the message. Everybody familiar with the message Bible? It's a, new, it's a paraphrase of what it is. Let me read you that phrase, what he says, and I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty accurate. Message, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God sponsored project and had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. I don't know you. And you don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Now that's a man using that, but I think it's pretty accurate. I think one day they're going to stand before Jesus and, Lord, look what I did. I went to church twice a year at Easter and Christmas. Man, that ought to count for something. And he's going to look at somebody and say, I don't know you. I never have and I never will. You're out of here. What a sad time that will be. Let me conclude with this. Signs, signs, everywhere there's signs. Should you have an out-of-order sign around your neck? In England, back during the Iraqi War, there were some radicals violently opposed to Britain's involvement in the war. Although they were relatively few in number, they launched a devious campaign of civil disobedience designed to disrupt life in England. They had printed up small, out-of-order signs, and they would put them on machines and doors all around England. What a devious plan. That's pretty good if you think about it. I mean, <laughs> even though the vending machine or the public telephone or whatever it was was in perfect working condition, all it takes is an out-of-order sign to fool most people. However, their strategy has, was publicized. So English citizens were not believing every out-of-order sign. They may have risked a shilling or two in the vending machines or telephones because of the devious lies of these people that did this. But that's a great parallel for us if you think about it. It may seem like your life is out of order. There's a lie of one called the evil one, Satan himself, 
If you believe his lie, then you won't have any hope. You won't have any joy. You won't have any peace. But like Jesus, we need to say, Devil, you are the one who's out of order. Get thee behind me, Satan. This old world may be out of order, but if you're in Christ, you're in perfect spiritual condition. So rip up that old out of order sign and quit wearing around your neck. When these there is chaos and pain in your life, people are watching. When you react to these with these attitudes, you'll want to ask, how can you have hope? That's the greatest resource that we have to offer a lost and dying world is hope. And let me close with this story. In 1998, there was a popular movie called Hope Floats. Anybody seen it? I figured that. Well, let me give you, now before I tell the story, let me share a story that Judy doesn't know about. She watched that several times, and one time I watched it. She didn't know I was watching, but I watched it. And let me tell you something. I had to leave the room because I was crying like a baby. It's been many years ago now. But in 1998, there was a popular movie called Hope Floats. Sandra Bullock's character's husband left her for her best friend, and they revealed their affair to her on te- a television talk show. In the movie, she returns home to Texas with her daughter. By the way, the movie was actually filmed in Smithfield, Texas. I didn't let Judy know it, like I say, when I was watching it, but I cried like a baby in that movie. And the reason I think I did because as that little girl stood in the driveway talking to her daddy, begging her daddy to take her with him because I could sense the pain of every kid that's ever had to go through that. And it hurt. It was sad. It's a movie of full of pain and suffering. In other words, it's pretty realistic. At the end of the movie, Bertie is walking along with a new friend holding one hand and Bernice, the, the little girl, holding her other hand. With the sound of a carnival beside them, the fireworks illuminating the Texas sky, she dares to risk that everything is going to be okay. The movie is named for her statement, and here's her statement. Mama used to say that beginnings are scary, endings are usually sad, but it's the middle that counts the most. You need to remember, you need to remember that when you find yourself at the beginning, give hope a chance to float up, and it will. Wow, that's some pretty good words from a movie. Everybody needs hope. My hope was crucified and buried and my hope fully right up out of the grave. And today our hope is a solid anchor. And like that hymn says, we mentioned a while ago, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Are you on the solid rock today? If you don't know, you can know today. Jesus Christ is the only rock. It's not this church. It's not another church down the street. The only hope is Jesus Christ. Without Him, there is no hope. This church cannot get you to heaven. This church can show you the way to heaven, but we can't get you there. 
It's got to be through Jesus Christ. Hope still floats today. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. As we come to close this service, we just ask that you be with us. Lord, I don't know everyone that's in this room in a personal way. But, Lord, if there be anyone here in this room that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their Lord, that's the greatest decision they will ever make. Lord, it will change their life. It will change destiny. It will change everything about them. But, Lord, it's because of you that we can have that. Lord, we just ask that you would just use this invitation. There may be somebody here that's going through a trial right now in the middle of it, and they're discouraged. and Maybe they just need to bow these steps and just pray to you. Maybe there's somebody who just needs to talk to somebody. Some of our deacons will be on both sides of the wall, and they'll be glad to talk to you. Maybe there's somebody looking for a church home, whatever the need may be. Lord, we open this invitation right now. This is your invitation, Lord, not ours. You are inviting them to meet Jesus face to face. Go with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.